Let us now turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, we'll read the first 14 verses. Hear the word of God. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thy own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thy own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more? Shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way, that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Thus far the reading of God's sacred and weighty scriptures. What a lot of wisdom was packed in those 14 verses, don't you think? Dear church family, the church of all ages has realized the value of prayer. And particularly the value of the Lord's Prayer as a model pattern prayer. And that prayer It's expounded in nearly every catechism or confession of faith, certainly in the Reformed tradition, but even beyond that. The the Lord's days to come in the Heidelberg Catechism are just an extraordinary model of that, expounding every petition in seven Lord's days. Seven sermons on this one short prayer so beautifully, taking all of what Scripture has to say about each one of these petitions and condensing it down into this these beautiful answers, so Bible-centered, so rich, and so soul and mind instructing. And so as we begin a study of the Lord's Prayer this morning, I want to remind you of two things by way of introduction. First, that this is 
a perfect pattern prayer. That's what it's meant to be. A perfect pattern prayer. After this manner, after this manner, Matthew 6 verse 9 says, pray ye. So the Lord's prayer is not intended to be the extent of our prayers. It's rather a pattern prayer. In other words, Jesus is saying, along these lines, pray ye. It's a lesson in prayer. It's a prayer that has a perfect structure. All its elements are to be incorporated into our daily prayers. Although, of course, in our daily prayers we go into much more detail, don't we? Well, let me illustrate that by just picking out one petition. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, that means we're asking for forgiveness of sin. And that's a, something we need to do every day. But we don't do it every day just with this one expression, do we? No. There's so much more to confess to God about our sins in prayer than this one petition. So we are to amplify these petitions. We have to confess specific sins to God, for example. We have to repent. We have to ask for repentance for our sins, for example. So it's not enough to just simply say every day, forgive us our debts. But each petition covers a whole area of our life, covers a major issue, a major element of true prayer life. So it's not wrong, of course, to just pray the Lord's Prayer and repeat it from time to time or even perhaps day to day. But that's not its primary purpose. Its primary purpose is to be a pattern for our prayers. If you look at any petition in the Lord's Prayer, and it seems strange to you, and you say, well, you know, I never pray about that. That's a problem. Then you need to change. These are all important matters in this pattern prayer. So the Lord's Prayer is a lesson in prayer. It's a, it's a plan for prayer. It's a chart written in big letters with big headings rather than a complete prayer. And our praying then, roughly speaking, should conform to this bigger lesson of broad strokes that Jesus sets before us in the Lord's Prayer. So that's the first thing. It's a pattern prayer. The second thing I want to mention by way of introduction is that the Lord's Prayer is a powerful petitioning prayer. It's true. There's an intro that we're looking at actually this morning, our Father which art in heaven. And there's a conclusion it talks about God's power and honor and glory. But it consists mostly of petitions. And they're powerful petitions. They're petitions that deal with our relationship with God. They deal with God Himself. They deal with our relationships to our neighbor, to each other and even toward ourselves. So it's a prayer that majors in petitions. And the whole prayer is saturated in plurality. Our Father, which art in heaven, give us this day. It's not a selfish prayer. It's a prayer that, through its petitions, gathers the corporate church together. It's really a prayer of intercession for everyone who believes in the Lord. And so it should be. We are to pray not just for ourselves, but for others as well. It's a prayer that, in its petitions, brings the big things 
to the foreground. We pray for forgiveness. We pray for sanctification. But this morning, we limit ourselves then to Lord's Day 46 and just the opening address of this prayer, which is, Our Father, which art in heaven. So my text this morning is Matthew 6, verse 9, obviously. After this manner pray ye, therefore, our Father which art in heaven. And Matthew 7, verse 11, we want to reflect on this text in the scope of this sermon together with some other texts. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven... Give good things to them that ask Him. And then we want to expound this beautiful, biblical Lord's Day 46. Questions 120, 121. Why has Christ commanded us to address God thus, our Father? That immediately, in the very beginning of our prayer, He might excite in us a childlike reverence for and confidence in God, which are the foundation of our prayer. Namely, that God has become our Father in Christ and will much less deny us what we ask of Him in true faith than our parents will refuse us earthly things. Why is it here added, which art in heaven? Lest we should form any earthly conception of God's heavenly majesty, and that we may expect from His almighty power all things necessary for soul and body. So our theme this morning is the fatherly foundation of authentic prayer. And we'll see that in three thoughts. The loving Father, first part of question 120. Second, the giving Father, second part of 120. And third, the heavenly Father, 121. The loving, giving, heavenly Father. Prayer is a big part of the Christian life. Our Reformed and Puritan forefathers used to call it the breath of the soul or the thermometer of our spiritual life. And yet prayer can be hard work. Hard work. Every believer finds a variety in his or her own prayer life. Sometimes it's easy to pray. It just flows out. Sometimes it's hard work to pray. It's difficult and challenging. And we complain about ourselves, disappointed in ourselves. Sometimes we feel hardness of heart. Sometimes we feel lack of freedom to find words. Sometimes we complain against ourselves because we're so very repetitious. Other times we feel calloused, cold, unfeeling. How do you know how to begin? You have that in your prayer life? You get down on your knees and you just you just have to say, Lord, teach me to pray. I feel so infantile in prayer. And thou art such a great God, such a God of majesty and glory and worthy of receiving my heart. My son, give me thy heart. And I don't feel like, Lord, I don't even feel like praying. What can we do? What can we do when we feel far away? detached from God 
And we know, we know we have to pray, of course. We have a conscience that speaks. But we don't feel like it. How can we get help coming into the presence of God with depth of desire, with warmness of heart, with the kind of feeling with which we ought to appear before Him? Well, our instructor tells us the way to do that is exactly the way Jesus tells us to do it in Matthew 6, which is to begin with our Father. And think about what we're saying. Our Father, which is in heaven. Notice the instructor says that just the very words, our Father, immediately, in the very beginning of our prayers, might excite in us, might move in us, arouse us to prayer. Rousing in us a childlike reverence for God and a confidence in God as our Father. I'm not talking here about a just a real casual reference to God as Father, and you fill your whole prayer with Father, 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 every sentence, and, and, and don't feel what you're saying. What I'm saying is, and what the instructor is saying is, and well, of course, what Jesus is saying most of all is, this is a pattern prayer. A believer may go to God and say, Our Father. And meditate on that word Father as he says it. And that can stir up warmth and reverence and confidence and break down that coldness and callousness. He's my Father. The creator of the universe is my Father. What a beautiful thing. To move the heart. To move our affections in prayer. That for the sake of Jesus Christ, His Son, God has become our Father and adopted you, dear believer, into His family through the natural only begotten Son of God. You are adopted for Christ's sake into that family, that largest family on earth. You are, you are coming to a loving Father. You are coming to a giving Father. You are coming to a heavenly Father. As I want to show you this morning. So, in one sense, of course, God's the Father of all of us. He's our Father as Creator. But in the Word of God, in the Bible, God peculiarly reveals Himself as the Father of his people, those who, those who've been brought into his kingdom, the father of those who experience a new birth and are bonded to him, the father of those who are his converted children, bought by the precious blood of Christ, the father of those who have been savingly wrought upon by the Holy Spirit. And when a child of God says, our father, with reverence. It says so much to our soul. There's so much packed in that word, Father. Isn't that true, boys and girls? When I say to you, your Father, think about your Father. Boy, there's so much to think about. Your Father is, is, is big in your life, isn't he? Well, the Heavenly Father is big in the lives of, of God's people. Just as your Father loves you a lot, the Heavenly Father loves the children of God a lot. A lot more. Loves them perfectly. Loves them infinitely. But how? How, how, how can you see that love in that very word, Father. Well, let me give you three ways. First, the term Father, the name Father, 
by its very nature, suggests to us loving approachability. Loving approachability. A father ought to be easy to approach because he loves his child. And the heavenly father, you see, is very approachable only through his son. Outside of his son, of course, he's holy. And you you can approach him. He's a consuming fire, an everlasting burning. But in his son, he's approachable. When we come to him with reverence and with confidence and cry out, our father, his ear is tuned to our cries. And if you, dad, as an earthly father, that's what Matthew seven eleven is focusing on. If you as an earthly father won't give your son a stone when he asks you for bread, won't give him a serpent when, you, when he asks you for fish, you being evil will give him good things. How much more a perfect father in heaven will give to his children good things? Good things that they ask of him. So this father is so approachable. Dear child of God, a father is familiar. If you're very young, you still sit on your dad's lap sometimes, right? Why do you sit on his lap? Well, because he's approachable. He's familiar to you. I remember one time Long time ago, when I was a young man, I had a little niece on my lap. And um, she said to me, she loved me. And I said, uh, why do you love me? And she said, uh, she thought a moment. She said, hmm, I think it's because you're familiar to me. That was quite a surprising answer to me from coming from the mouth of a a four-year-old. But isn't that true for a Christian? Calvin said, when I pray to God, I climb into the lap of my father and whisper my needs in his ear. There's a beautiful thing about prayer. It's familiarity with an approachable God who loves us more than we can ever love him. Our Father, which art in heaven. It's so beautiful. Good earthly fathers are lovingly approachable. And so it is with our heavenly almighty Father. Through Christ. Through Christ. That's important to understand that. You know, Jesus was so approachable, wasn't he? The Pharisees complained of him. Remember that in Luke 15, verse 2? They said, this man receiveth sinners. He's approachable by sinners. That was their complaint. But you see, that's our comfort. That's our comfort when we're true believers, that God receives sinners just like us. And then we, in turn, want to be Godlike. We want to be fatherly to others who are around us, don't we? In fact, we are, at least to some degree, maybe a faint degree, but we are images of our Father when we have spiritual life. And we want to be approachable. Not just to our children, but to others as well. You know, I don't know how much you've ever thought about this, but the Father, through Christ, by the Holy Spirit, makes believers progressively through this life more like Himself. More like Himself. Like Him, we have life. Like Him, we are personal beings. Like Him, we have the power of reason, except that He is glorious and infinite. Like Him, we have the power of speech. But like Him, we also spiritually 
We want to honor him and live lives of holiness, the holiness that he plants in us. And so when we come to God in prayer and begin our Father immediately, there's some comfort there for our cold and darkened and troubled and confused and unbelieving hearts. And we say, though, though I cannot grasp His fullness and all His wonder and sovereignty and might, there's a sense in which because I am made in His image, I draw near not to a totally unknown God whom I cannot grasp at all. I can't grasp Him in His fullness. He's the comprehensible yet incomprehensible God. But He's, he's a Father. I know He understands words. I know He understands my broken words far better than I do because He's given me the power and the desire to speak them to Him with all their shortcomings. He's approachable. You know, I once heard Sinclair Ferguson say, I I don't ever want you to see me communicating with my one-year-old grandchild because you might think I'm a fool because I, I babble. I babble with that child like that child talks to me. You know, in some ways, God is so far above us. We say, how, how can we pray to Him? But in other ways, God delights to hear the babbling of His child. And he comes down to us in this word, Father. He comes down to us to interact with us in simple human vocabulary. He's so far above us, but he comes down to our level and he hears our cries. And he's not ashamed to hear our babbling. He's not ashamed to speak back to us at our level. He's approachable. Let that stir you up. Let that stir you up when you begin to pray. Our Father. Secondly, the word Father implies not only that He's approachable, but that He's lovingly relational. Lovingly relational. He enjoys having a relationship with His people. He enjoys relating with His people through His Word. You may come to him as a son, as a daughter, dear believer, and know that he will not turn you away because he doesn't turn away his children, even less than an earthly father would do. He says, you are my children. I am your father. I I love relationship. I love communion with my people. You know, many people have asked the question over the years, what is the very center of the Reformed faith, or what we sometimes call Calvinism? What's the very heartbeat of it? What's the heartbeat of the Bible itself? And there's been lots of different ideas. Many scholars have come up with the notion of God's sovereignty. But there was a Scottish theologian by the name of John Duncan he said, well, that, that may be the central doctrine in one way, but actually, if you take the Bible as a whole, and you take the Reformed faith as a whole, I want to add an adjective before that word sovereignty. The center of all Christianity is the fatherly sovereignty of God. The fatherly sovereignty of God. He's a lovingly paternal God through His Son, a God whom we worship and trust. And in that Father name, we have a confidence that He's not going to desert us. He's not going to turn on us. He's not going to be like the Muslim God, Allah, who can save you today and then damn you tomorrow and can be capricious to you, flex His emotions one way or another. You just have to do the five pillars of Islam and hope for the best, but you can't have any assurance. And therefore, you can never call God Father in Islam. 
But in Christianity, it's different. We have a God who doesn't change his mind. We have a God who's consistent. A God whom we worship, who's personal, who's relational, who's a heavenly father, who's powerful, who can always be trusted, who knows us, who knows us, and yet loves us in Christ. That's astonishing. How can God love us? How can God love someone like you and me? Someone so proud, someone so unbelieving, someone so selfish. Well, how does an earthly father love a child? Is your child perfect, parents? No. Your child has all kinds of weaknesses, flaws, faults. But you love your child because it's your child. You don't unson your son because your son doesn't behave exactly the way you want him to behave. God doesn't unchild his child because his child doesn't live up to his expectations. He loves like a father. Yes, more than a father. He's a perfect loving father. He's relational. He will never destroy his children. And so when you come to him, you open your prayer this way. You're calling upon a loving, relational father. Don't forget that. And then thirdly, the word father implies that he has a right to loving reverence and confidence from us. Notice what the instructor says. Immediately, in the very beginning of our prayer, he might excite in us, what? A childlike reverence for him. A confidence in Him. And these things are the foundation, the foundation of our prayer. God's character, God's love to His own, generates in me this reverence, this confidence. And that's how I approach Him. That's how I come to Him. When I, when I take the name of God on my lips, also the name Father, I don't do that casually. I do that with confidence and reverence combined. That's the beauty of true prayer. There's always this confidence. I I really, in true prayer, I'm really trusting God. But at the same time, I'm really reverencing God. He's high. He's exalted. He's glorious. He's big. He's so big in my life. Do you remember, boys and girls, few years ago, maybe you don't remember, but I told you a story about a little girl who was seven years old, seven years old, and she was dying from a disease. And her dad, who was not saved, didn't have a new heart, was sitting by her side. He still loved her very much. He didn't want her to die. And one day he said to her, my child, as she was dying, don't you want to stay and live with us? And she said, no, Daddy. And he said, well, why not? Oh, she said, for two reasons, Daddy. For one reason. I see that even as I'm dying, I see a change in you, that you are coming closer to the Lord. And if that means my death, Daddy, to have you saved, it will be worth it. Seven-year-old. But then she said this, but also daddy. She was converted, by the way, under the preaching of George Whitfield. Also this, daddy. I want to go and be with Mr. Whitfield's big God. Big God. You see, when you're saved and you come to this Father God, he, he fills the whole panorama of your life. He becomes number one in your life through Jesus. He, in a sense, God is everything to a believer. And he, He's so big. He, he fills your heart and goes beyond it. He, he fills your life. He, he fills your thoughts. He, you, you want to serve Him. You want to love Him. You want to be with Him. But you want to do that in a, in, in a, in a pathos and an ethos of, of great reverence and great confidence. You, you esteem Him in his grandeur, in his glory, in his beauty, in his loveliness, in his bigness. 
And at times you say, don't you, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. I want to be with thy big, big God, thy Father, thyself, thy Holy Spirit, forever in glory. So these are the things. Three major thoughts there for you to meditate on that ought to stir up in you when you cry out, Our Father, which art in heaven. Now, this loving Father is also a giving Father. And there's just so much here that I just have to skate over the surface. But He's a giving Father in several ways. First of all, He gives us Himself. He gives us Himself. Isn't that beautiful? As a Father, He gives us His love. He gives us His pity. How precious is the heavenly love of the Father to His children. Jeremiah Burroughs, the Puritan, says this, God, who is the infinite, glorious first being, embraces them with an entire fatherly love. All the love that ever was in any parents towards children is but one drop of the infinite ocean of fatherly love that there is in God to His people. One drop. And you love your kids so much, don't you? But it's like one drop in the ocean compared to the fatherly love of God to his people. He gives, he gives us himself. And he gives us his son. His only begotten son. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He gave that son to be our prophet, to teach us, our priest, to, to sacrifice for us and intercede for us, our king, to rule and guide us. He gave him in his states of humiliation and exaltation. He gave him in his person. He gave him in his names. He gave him in his beauty. From eternity to eternity, the church is given the Son by the Father. In his giving love. And he gives the Holy Spirit. The spirit of adoption. Our Father gifts us, dear believer, with the spirit of adoption. So that we are partakers of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And that spirit enlightens our mind. He sanctifies our heart. He makes God's wisdom and will known to us. He guides us all the way to eternal life. He works the totality of salvation in our soul. Our, our, all our religion would be but a sham without the Holy Spirit. And then this Father, this beautiful Father, this loving Father, this giving Father, gives us His Word, gives us the Bible which Peter said was a more sure word of prophecy. Something better and bigger than standing on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. There's nothing so valuable in this life. It's the Bible. Without the Bible, you couldn't know God. Well, you could know Him in a few outward attributes, but you couldn't know Him savingly in Jesus. Nature doesn't reveal anything about Jesus' saving substitutionary work. The Bible tells us the way of salvation. The Bible shows us how to live. The Bible gives us God's rules and standards. The Bible gives us everything we need applied by the Holy Spirit. What a giving Father He is. And then, our instructor puts it this way, He will give me everything I need. Look at question 21. All things necessary for soul and for body. What a comprehensive, sweeping statement. He gives me everything I need, this Father, for my soul. Through His Son, by His Spirit, He calls me, He regenerates me, He brings me to repentance and faith, He justifies me, He sanctifies me, He, he, he gives me assurance of faith, He enables me to persevere in the Christian walk, He, he gives me the promises I need to, to rest in Him and to find confidence and trust in Him. He gives me prayer itself. I, I pray by the groanings of the Spirit within me. He gives me everything. Without Him, I can't do anything. 
for soul, but also for, for body, for body. He doesn't just meet all my spiritual needs in his word and in his house of prayer and through preaching and through spiritual liberty by his Holy Spirit. He also meets my bodily needs. He assists me in everything I need in this life. He's just a giving God. Is there, is there one thing that you really absolutely need in this life for your body that he hasn't supplied you? I'm not talking about everything you want. Everything you need. And he supplied you everything. Everything. And he gives you his all of this, soul, body, Father, Son, Spirit, Word, House of God. He gives it all to you, not begrudgingly, but with paternal kindness, with loving kindness. One of the, one of the most beautiful, deepest, warmest words in the Bible is associated with God the Father again and again, especially in the Psalms. It's that word hesed I talked to you about some time ago. Sometimes translated merciful, sometimes translated kindness, sometimes most commonly translated perhaps loving kindness. It's a word of God's covenant loyalty. It's a word that's close to the center, as it were, of his fatherly heart. As a father, you see, he's loyal to his own covenant. He's loyal to his own children. He, he, he pours down chesed. He pours down his love, his loving kindness upon us. He's filled with kindness to his children. Sympathizing with them. Enjoying them. Feeling pity for them. In their needs. Directing his gifts to them. If ye then being evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more, how much, 10,000 times more, shall your Father, your Hesed Father, which is in heaven, who's filled with loving kindness, give good things to those who ask Him? Notice the text doesn't say, we'll sell you good things. If you have enough money to purchase them. It says, he will give them. Too often, children of God too, you know this, don't you? You feel like you have to earn it from God. You, and, you, and you feel like you have to buy it from God. But no, it's all free. He gives everything away free because he's got a giving nature. You know how, how it is with somebody. You say, wow, oh, that person, that person is so kind. He gave the shirt off his back. Well, God gave a lot more than the shirt off his back. He gave his only begotten son. He loves his people. He's a giver by nature. That's who he is. A giving father. He forgives. He forgives perpetually. He forgives past sin and, and, and present sin and future sin. The Bible says he's ready to forgive. Ready to forgive. Our Father. Do you see now? There's so much in this word. One word, Father. And then two, notice the term there, our. It doesn't say, don't begin the prayer, my Father, but our Father. That implies that God also gives us something else very important. He gives us brothers and sisters in the faith. He gives us a family. We belong to the largest family on earth. We're, not, we're just not paddling our canoe through life by ourselves. But that's the beauty of church. That's the beauty of God's people coming together. That's the beauty of having koinonia is the New Testament word. Fellowship. Fellowship. Spiritual fellowship among believers. Praying for one another. Loving one another. As children of the same Father. Brothers and sisters together in the family of God. And then, he also gives us perfect guidance and protection. Have you ever had someone be like a father figure in your life? Someone you could go to for advice about anything? You say, that person is really wise. What a friend. If every person had just one person they could go to, it was very spiritually 
wise. What a blessing that person would be to, to, to you all. Well, the Father's like that. Again, 10,000 times more. There's no one so wise as him. His providence is wise. He's a father who will protect you, who will give you perfect guidance, who will show you his way. When you cry out, help me to do my work at school, boys and girls, or help me to, to do something else, help me. Help me to, a mom cries out, help me to raise this child in a way that brings thee glory, Lord. Or you cry out, get me out of this hole, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. Deliver me. He, he's a protecting, guiding God. Go to Him for wisdom. He can help you. And finally, God gives us security. There's no security like being in God. We hide under the shadow of His wings. He calls Himself our Father. And we are His children. What security is that? There's no security like that. We have the almighty, omnipotent, omniscient, Lord of glory to be our God, our security. The day I left the army, my, uh, my boss came to me and said, well, I hope the Lord will be with you out there in that big bad world. And I said to him, sir, I said, My God is the creator of this world. He's the protector of this world. Everything's under his control. By the grace of God, I'll be okay, sir. I'll be okay, sir. My security is in him. What a giving father. Is he your father? Do you know this comfort, this joy of his love? of his giving character, of coming to him and saying, our Father who art in heaven. Well, he's a loving father, a giving father, but he's also a heavenly father. We'll look at that briefly. In case we are prone to use the word father too casually, Jesus says, after this manner pray you, our Father which art in heaven. Now, there are several reasons why these words are very important. So that we approach God in the right and best way. Because here's the balance. Our Father, our intimate Father, but our intimate Father who dwells in heaven who's glorious. So this expression, who art in heaven, which art in heaven, meaning the Father, is very important to have a balanced view of God. Let me give you, let me give you six quick helps. Number one, it helps us to consider that He is peculiarly in heaven. It gives us a perspective of his greatness, that the heaven of heavens cannot contain him, but that's his particular special abode, and our smallness. And we need that. We need to realize how great he is. And that this greatness of God in heaven means he's not only great to help us, but he's also an infinitely glorious God, worthy of our reverence and our worship. So that helps us in approaching Him rightly in prayer. Secondly, we are reminded by the fact that He's in heaven, that He's a spirit. Jesus, of course, is in heaven with His physical body, but God the Father is a spirit. And we are to image Him in a number of ways, but in other ways, he is above and beyond us. He's an eternal, immortal, great, infinite spirit. And so, thinking of that in heaven is not a hindrance that he's a spirit, but it actually ought to excite us in his heavenly grandeur 
to come to him by faith as the all-knowing spirit, as the omnipresent spirit, as a glorious spirit. Thirdly, which out in heaven indicates that God is above and outside time and the whole created order in which we live. He's infinitely above us in so many ways that when we come to him, we're coming to the greatest, the most exquisite, the most beautiful, the most glorious being that is responsible for the creation of all other beings. He's above and beyond creation. He's glorious, and yet he makes himself known to us even from the infinite expanse of heaven by sending his Son. This is a God who's beyond time, over time. He rules all things. What a powerful God. We are so intimidated by time. We rush here and there. We're worried we're going to be two minutes late. But this God is not hectic. Our God is in the heavens, above and beyond time. He's a Father in heaven who's calm and peaceful and in control and never surprised and glorious in every way. And fourthly, which art in heaven ought to make us more approachable to Him because we have to remember how far our Lord condescended as the Advent Savior coming to be born in Bethlehem's manger, coming into the smoke of sin, coming into poverty. He, the Lord of the universe, had not a place where to lay His head. What a gospel. What a Savior. What an approachable God that God is willing to give His Son in all His infinite glory a human nature to come and to suffer and die for the kinds of sinners we are? That ought to make him more approachable. Our Father, which art in heaven. And then which art in heaven, fifthly, must remind us of the holiness of God. The holiness of God. This world is just a little speck in his universe. And his universe is just a tiny, immeasurable speck in his everlasting glory. So which art in heaven reminds us of his glorious perfections, of his exquisite holiness, in which there is purity beyond our wildest imagination and beyond all our corruption. God is exquisitely holy. And the only way you and I can be holy is through his Son, who is perfectly holy. He who knew no sin became sin that we may be made the righteousness of God in Him. We need to repent when we cry out which art in heaven. We need to repent before this holy, holy, holy God. And finally, sixthly, which art in heaven implies, doesn't it, that He's the King of heaven. And one day we will all before Him, be before Him, before His great white throne. He's the king of all. All things are accountable to him. The Lord Jesus is seated at his father's side and he's the king of his people, the king over all his people. And what a blessing to be able to say, I'm a member of that kingdom, thy kingdom, Lord, with millions of citizens. And oh, I remember that when I cry out, our father, which art in heaven. Everything will be decided on the day of judgment. And all the redeemed will go into heaven forever. All the strangers of Christ will be rejected forever. Oh, the end is not going to be decided here on earth. The end is going to be decided by the King of heaven. God's in control of everything. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now finally, let me conclude with this this morning. How are we to respond to all of this? How are we to respond to all of this? This loving Father, this giving Father, this heavenly Father. Well, I have four quick responses for you. Number one, we are to show childlike reverence 
childlike reverence and love for our Father in everything. We are to reflect habitually upon our Father's great glory and infinite majesty and incredible approachability. We're to see our Holy Father's hand behind everything. We're to go from secondary causes to the primary causation and say, all things are done in accord with my Father's will. All things, therefore, shall work together for good to those that love Him. But to show reverence and love to Him in everything. Secondly, we're to submit to Him, to our Father, in every providence. When He visits us with a rod, we are not to resist or murmur. But we are to say, it's fitting for me as a child of the Father, to be humbly submissive. I will bear the indignation of the Lord, for I have sinned against Him. He's always better to me, even in my greatest afflictions than I deserve. I submit. The Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of my Father. And thirdly, I'm to obey and imitate my Father. And love His image bearers. I'm to strive to be like Him, to be holy as He is holy, First Peter 1, 15. To be loving as He is loving, to be giving as He is giving. I'm to be imitators of God, Ephesians 5, 1. I'm to show the family likeness, and I'm to reach out to His image bearers, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and love them. And finally, I'm to rejoice in being in my Father's presence to delight, just to get my, my greatest delight in life is communion with Him, communion with Him through Christ, knowing that in heaven that communion will be full, knowing that I only get a thimble full here perhaps, but there, here He feeds me with a spoon, there He'll feed me with a ladle, there I will be able to drink in the oceans of His love as I never could fully hear. Oh, to taste the presence of my God as my Father through Christ by the Spirit here is exquisitely sweet. But there, one day, it'll be 10,000 times more. So when you come to God in prayer, come in this manner, dear child of God, our Father which art in heaven. And if you're unsaved, He's still your Father Creator. Go to Him in whatever capacity you can as your Father. But don't rest until you know Him as your personal saving Father in Christ. He will receive you. Repent at His feet and cry out, to know Him as your God and your Father in a personal way. Amen. Gracious God, please, please help us to see the beauty, the fullness, the, the glory, the radiance, the perfection, the majesty, the all-in-allness, and even in these opening words of the Lord's Prayer, our Father, which art in heaven. Fill us, Lord, with thyself and empty us of the things of this sinful world. And may we be taken up with thee and with thy glory forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.